You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to Switched On Australia. Thanks for joining me. I'm Anne Delaney and I'm speaking to you from a Ruckwell country in northern New South Wales. One of the things holding many of us back from finally ditching gas from our homes and going all electric is we like cooking with gas. For many, it's a gateway decision. If we're ready to give up the gas cooktop, we're often ready to give up gas entirely. And although our cooktops only burn a small volume of gas throughout the year, cooking usually only accounts for about 4% of a household's carbon emissions, if we're hanging on to gas just because we like our cooktops, it's becoming an expensive way to cook. Gas is no longer cheap, but it's also never been healthy to be cooking with gas. Gas releases pollutants and toxins when it's burnt, nitrogen dioxide, benzene, formaldehyde, carbon monoxide, and there's now plenty of evidence to show an increased risk of asthma in households that burn gas. It's actually kind of crazy that we still burn this stuff in our kitchens, given we have cleaner and healthier options. Like induction stoves. Induction stoves look like an ordinary electric cooktop, but they differ in the way they generate heat. Gas and traditional electric stoves heat a burner, which then transfers heat to a pot, whereas induction cooktops use a magnetic induction field to turn your cooking pot into the actual heating element. They can heat a pot really quick, almost immediately, and only the cookware itself gets hot, not the cooktop surface. To talk about induction stoves, I'm joined today by Luke Burgess, who's a professional chef and kitchen consultant and part of the Global CookSafe Coalition. This is a group that has been set up to help promote safe and sustainable cooking in OECD countries. And I started my chat with Luke by asking him what he likes about induction stoves. They are incredibly efficient. They're incredibly easy to use. Uh, and they're also incredibly simple. In inherently, they seem simple. And, and this is something that I think appeals to, to myself as a cook. You can really focus on cooking and cooking well with something that is incredibly powerful and also just seems to be so responsive as well. well. Why are they better than gas stoves though? I mean, so many of us love our gas stoves because it's instantaneous and it's immediately there. Everything gets hot so quickly. Why is it better than gas stove? I mean, for many years, gas was great. I, I trained on gas back in the day. And, you know, the older electric stoves uh, are really inefficient compared to the, the gas technology that has developed. But at the end of the day, it's been superseded by induction for many, many reasons. And that whole uh, cooking with fire, sort of uh, primordial approach to cooking is really over uh, solid fuels like wood and, and charcoal and whatnot. And gas has sort of been, a, I guess, a, a fill-in for that um, and, and a very efficient way of cooking maybe 15, 20 years ago in terms of heat. You know, you could see the flame, you turn the, the knob, um, you have this intense power, but you also have a lot of wasted energy in that power. And induction is more powerful, but with less waste. And it's really about focusing on 
heating the actual cooking uh, medium, be it the pan or a hot plate, and nothing else. Nothing else gets wasted in that transaction. Um, and I think with with gas, used to in, in busy kitchens, you'd have burners running all day in a space, and you'd put a pan on there. But you get uneven heat as well. You'd get intense hot spots. And you'd also have uh, things boil over. There was no safety mechanisms really that could uh, so you could really employ with gas. Um, with the, with induction, you know, if it gets too hot, it turns itself off. You can have it ticking over at a very very low temperature to set like cheese curds with a coagulation and, and, and less burning and whatnot. So it's it's really this this type of power, but having much more control over that power. Do you have the, the, the stats on the energy efficiency in comparison to gas? So with, with gas, gas burners, up to 70% of the heat is actually not used within the cooking medium. So it's, it goes up into the environment around you. If you're looking at boiling a litre of water on a, an old electric cooktop, could take up to five minutes. On a gas cooktop, top of the range, could take about a minute and a half to almost two minutes. On an induction cooktop, it can take 30 seconds. So it can be 79 to 90% more efficient than gas. That's significant, isn't it? That is absolutely. I mean, any of those figures used in any other form would change your mind instantaneously. Mm. It's, it's, I think the main thing to think about is that with, with gas, we can't see the wasted energy. We can feel the heat but we're not actually able to gauge what's being wasted there. All of it's happening um, in terms of emissions and different sort of compounds that end up in the air. Um, but with induction, you know, you have this cold stove around it and a hot base to the pan, no hot handle. And it's, 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 a, it's a kind of magic in a way. And I think that sort of efficiency that, that comes through is can be lost on people at first because it seems too too efficient, too easy. Mm. Now, it's not just efficiency that you're focused on. It's also the health impacts as well, I understand, and especially in a, you know, in a commercial kitchen where you've got to be responsible for health and safety issues. And clearly, you know, for householders, obviously, we all want to be looking after who else we're living with and ourselves and our own health. Uh, tell me about how that's impacting, has impacted your decisions about the, making the switch. It's interesting. Because in, in busy commercial kitchens, there's lots of things that um, could be considered a hazard. Um, and cooking with gas really, in, in my experience over the years, there was, there was no discussion about, I guess, respiratory issues or anything else in regard to that. Obviously, you could set things on fire if you left a tea towel next to a pot or a pot boiled over. But in, in regards to what actually happens when you burn, uh, or a gas stove inside a building. I, I didn't know until I got involved with this program and with CookSafe just exactly what was being expelled in the process of, of, of burning gas within, within a kitchen. And different compounds, things that you wouldn't actually want to inhale anywhere are being done in a closed environment and, and a lot of the times with inadequate uh, extraction. And I think people just aren't aware of, of all the different compounds, benzene and formaldehyde. Methane. And carbon monoxide, methane. I mean, all these things that actually are detrimental to our health. 
I think that we've been kept, I guess, away from that information for a long time because it, it isn't great. I mean, piping a fossil fuel into your kitchen, whether it's your business or your home, to me now seems like a very antiquated concept. Mm. But for many years, it seemed very natural. Mm. Um, why, why do you think that we haven't known about this information? Uh, well, like anything else, be it tobacco or car safety, all of those things, I think the industry is well ahead of the curve and, and really the marketing department. Of the gas industry. The, the spin doctors. Yeah, the, the spin doctors have kept it away from us. And actually, it's it's called fossil gas, but we grew up knowing it as natural gas. Mm. Uh, there's nothing natural about it. It's very much a processed uh, product that has been marketed to, you know, uh, fulfill a certain role. And for a certain point in time, it did fulfill a role, but it's been superseded. And I think in that period, they knew that it was going to have a, a limited shelf life and the marketing is incredibly clever. What, what role do you think that that mythology about gas, you know, it's cheaper, it's cleaner, it's quicker, has played in keeping certainly professional chefs and cooks and subsequently householders cooking with gas? Well, there's, I guess when, you, when you're burning, unless you've owned a business, you're absolutely unaware of what it costs. <laughs> so yes. you, if you, unless you see the bills, you have no idea. And, and at home, you're probably cooking for a very limited amount of time, unless it's, you know, making a long braise or a stock over the weekend. Um, you know, you're probably cooking for 30 to 45 minutes per day, um, of which, you know, maybe half of that is actually using the, the stovetop. Now, I mean, I believe that the mythology of the whole cooking with fire and that sort of primordial approach has sort of kept people, I guess, focused on the way that professionals cook and and for many many years gas stoves were the best thing you could get in a commercial kitchen i guess the, the design of of home cooktops has been quite refined i mean some of them look incredible mm. and and people want to at home think that if a professional chef is cooking with gas in a particular way then you can't you have to if you want to be as good as them that's what you have to do but you you, you learn as a cook that really what you use to heat something is really based on what you're, you're actually cooking and not just one form of technology. But in Western cooking, the, the gas burner has a certain function. And I think in other cuisines, it serves a different purpose. And coming from a classic Western sort of cooking background and the way you pick up a dish or you heat something over and over again, uh, gas, gas was the most efficient way to do it, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, emissions from cooking are relatively small compared to those, say, from heating and from cooling. But do, mm. you, do, do you think that the role of electrification in the professional kitchen has a flow on to the householder as a result? Well, what's interesting is that you know cooking is the last frontier in terms of people hold, people holding onto gas it's the last frontier mm. so when people have been asked how do you heat your homes how do you cool your homes how do you heat your water people have said well i don't really it doesn't bother me but when you ask them how do you cook your food they've said oh well we, we cook on gas because that's what professionals cook on so 
it may be a relatively small um, set of emissions purely from cooking, but because people have chosen to stay with a gas stove, then their hot water's gas, their heating's gas. Once people switch to an electric or induction stove, then they will stop using gas for everything else. Mm. So it is it is the last bastion of gas being used residentially. So it's like a gateway decision for whether or not to electrify or not. Absolutely. And I think when you look at it in that context, what happens is that the amplification of those emissions based around a cultural choice, not a scientific um, or health choice, just a cultural choice of how to cook your food inside your house. People are very attached to their their gas stoves and you can see the resistance of, of people not wanting to get off gas be, because they want to retain their gas stove. We've seen in the United States, you know, a massive backlash against people abandoning their gas stoves. Are we seeing something similar here in Australia yet? Not yet. I think in the US, you know, there's there's a lot of bravado from chefs globally and you see this flow over into the way they feel about something whether it's you know a type of farming that that, that is used for their produce that they work with or a technology and gas is one of those where people who come from an older a mindset maybe have worked on an incredible chave 200,000 euro cooking island that has gas burners and target tops and all these incredible like the height of the technology mm. incredible stuff and and don't realize that they they make uh, induction ones now so uh, exactly the same but actually far more uh, utility in it because it, it can be used for so many other things and i think in australia we haven't really we haven't really sort of nailed those colors to the mast just yet I think from what I can see, people at home still believe that the majority of chefs want to cook on gas because there's a theatre, there's a way that you sort of show that you've got some flair or, you know, even techniques of flambéing and, and whatnot. <laughs> um, and people don't realise that there's other ways to do that with electrification or electrified cooking systems. So what I can't understand and, and now I really can't understand it, is the attraction to, to cooking with gas. Whenever I walk into a kitchen and I see gas burners, I, my heart sinks. I think, oh, God, mm. things are going to cook unevenly. There's more to clean. It's, it's just not enjoyable as a process. So I went, once people have tried induction, I think they will start to realize that actually, well, what was I really holding on to? There's just, there's just really no reason to be doing this anymore. Mm. Well, what about though the wok burner? A lot of people say you can't you can't do your stir fry on the on the induction stove. And you know, in in some contexts you could say that's potentially a fair call. But I mean, I'm no expert on wok cooking. I understand the thermal dynamics of of how it occurs, but there is a type of alchemy there and uh, a sort of reference to what they call wok hay or the breath of the wok. But on speaking to a lot of different cooks who specialize in these areas, they all give me a different answer on what wok hay is. And it's not dependent on the fuel used to cook it necessarily. It's about sugars and caramelization and smokiness and a flavor that can happen in the wok as well as outside the wok. Mm. Now, the power of like 
the top of the range wok burners, the H-Pack and whatnot, they're, they're strong. They are very, very strong. I've just been to look at some induction wok burners or wok hobs that are probably about three times as powerful as what these top of the range H-Pack wok burners are putting out. And my observation with some of the induction equipment is actually it's going to be maybe too powerful. Mm. So you can really can work with that level of control much more accurately than with um, a traditional wok burner and still get the same results. Mm. Um, one chef in particular that I watched cooking with this wok dish after dish was putting them out 60% faster than the person cooking on the gas wok just down at the other end of the kitchen section. Interesting. And and the techniques remain the same. The tossing, he got the actual wok to ignite um, with some uh, Shaoxing cooking wine because it got hot enough to actually cause it to flame up and flambe for a bit of wok hay. So, no, I think the main thing will be people actually getting a chance to use them and realise that, it is far superior and the technology is is now commercially available and ready to roll out. Here in Australia, it's, a, it's available? It's just landed and this year we'll see the increase of units coming into Australia but there are three different brands of induction wok three phase, 8, 12 and 15 kilowatt that are incredibly powerful and amazingly efficient. But for a lot of householders, we'll have to wait a bit longer? Uh, not necessarily because people at home and not be they're not cooking on the same intensity of, of gas uh, with a wok burner. So if someone has a wok burner at home and they have it outside in the backyard to cook their their stir fry every once in a while, almost like a I guess like a char grill or a barbecue, even those are not at the same level of intensity that you're finding in uh, restaurants that use gas wok burners. They're just not. The actual flame is much much cooler than what you find. Mm. So at home, flat bottom woks, and I've seen people cook stir fries in flat, flat bottom woks on induction tops. You know, you move the food more than the actual wok itself. There's an ample, there's actually more power in your domestic induction cooktop to cook in a wok more effectively than using your gas burner at home. So it's there, it's just about understanding how to use that power and how to cook in with it. So. You know, people take the pan off the heat and they toss it with gas. There's an illusion that as you do that, you know, you're you're you're, you're still using the heat from the gas, but actually it's escaping and it's leaving the, the base of the pan. And with induction, it just turns itself off when you do when you do do that. But when you put it back down, it turns back on. Mm -hmm. So the motion of taking a pan off the stove is a a, a response to the way the energy was used particularly with gas because you know you, you either turn the knob or you lift the pan off and shake it with induction you can do both and people move the pan but also you can move the food and keep the pan stagnant now if you do it with gas you get hot handles you get hot sides you get uneven heating with induction you get none of that can I just go back, just backtrack a little bit and back to the gas industry and mm -hmm. potential backlash? 
you don't think that we're seeing, you know, the sort of backlash that we're we're seeing in the United States just yet? Do you anticipate that's going to happen? Because I mean, they are starting to offer deals on gas appliances and things, which will actually bring these appliances in much much cheaper than induction. And of course, the main stumbling block, surely, for induction stoves for a lot of people is the cost. So. I, I really think that induction itself has managed to stratify its offering. So even though these companies will be giving away you know, discounts and better offers on, on gas cooking appliances, the last bastion or the last remaining place for that is the actual gas hobs. Everything else in most people's kitchens are electrified. Mm. And electric ovens have been the norm for a long time because they're far, far superior to a gas oven. Now you can get $100 plug-in induction cooktops that are far cheaper and far easier to use than any gas appliance that can be given away for free. I think the the backlash will be more about a psychological sort of attack on, on what you're doing and the authenticity of cooking. But in terms of its reach and uh, anticipation, or it, I think it'll be harder in the commercial realm than the residential realm. I think for chefs to get access to induction cooktops is going to be a much slower process than the home cook because really it's very, very affordable now. Mm. And there are so many different products at different levels and different prices that people can buy a portable unit, have a play, and then go and spend... $1,400 on a state-of-the-art Electrolux four-hob induction cook plate that is incredible. Mm. That the gas counterpart is only a couple of hundred dollars cheaper and nowhere near as good. You, you mentioned also earlier about the costs in a professional kitchen of extraction. And clearly, you know, if you've got gas stoves operating all day, you've got to have the extractors going as well. When you talk to professional chefs, for instance, are they adding up all of those costs? I would, I would guess they are. Not entirely, because it's like cars. <laughs> Until you drive, I mean, I own an electric van. I've had it for three years, and the sound of other vehicles irritates me now. Now, I didn't realise until I sat in my electric car and drove it around how quiet and easy and efficient it is to then understand how noisy other things are. Yes. Same in kitchens. Until you've seen the alternative, you don't realise how noisy the hoods are, how long they're running, all the other industrial noise that comes from having to have all that extra uh, infrastructure. And say for most people in a commercial kitchen, gas may be a slightly cheaper option at the moment in terms of some of the appliances, not all. But the extraction requirements for gas are far higher. So the money that you save on not putting in extraction for gas, you put into the infrastructure for the, the cooking appliance. And at the end of the day, you end up with a far better balance there. And um, once you do work in that environment, you then realize, wow, we had a target top running all day to, to, to heat a piece of metal. We had the hoods running at a really high velocity all day because of this technology. Um, and, and once you switch over, you realize straight away that, that it is really 
not that great. <laughs> mm, exactly. And I mean, it's like so many electrical appliances, isn't it? If we just think of the upfront costs, obviously, they tend to be higher. But if you average it out over five years, 10 years, most of them are ahead. Even cars nowadays. <laughs> Abs absolutely. And I think we also don't know, you know, I, I, I said to someone, I, I, can't, I can't see what the next evolution in cooking appliances will be after induction. I look at it and think whatever it is, it actually won't be necessary because this is as much power, control and flexibility that you'll ever need to heat a pan or a tray that's not in an oven. So with that, we, we haven't even really come to understand how we're going to recycle the cooking equipment we're using, the technology that goes into making it. Are we going to find alternative natural resources that are not dependent on copper and all these other things like fungi and algae and all these other components that can go into batteries? You know, there's someone developing a battery-powered induction stove. So the batteries are interchangeable with your drill, a hairdryer, oh, wow. everything. So they're, they're, it's about even removing the need for cords making it portable so someone in sub-Saharan Africa can be blow-drying their hair and cooking a braise in a pressure cooker, which they can't <laughs> do with gas. I mean, this is the potential is huge and it's, it's amazing to see just what is going to happen in the future because there is no limit on the application for this technology. So for those small businesses who want to get off the gas, how would you advise them? Do they need a plan? Do they need to do it over a period of time? How, how would you advise them? So I, I, I would say to them, what are you cooking with gas? And what do you need, envisage you need the gas for? Have a look at your cooking techniques and have a look and see if you can get a little 2,000 watt portable induction top. Hopefully your pans will be suitable to use with it because it needs to be a certain type of pan, but that's very common these days. Actually, it's a point worth mentioning. A lot of companies that have make cookware, a good four or five years ago, have made them all induction ready mm -hmm. because they knew that that would have to be a selling point in the next 10 to 15 years. Have a look and see, see what you're working with and then have a look at what the technology costs up front. Have a look at what you need because of its level of efficiency, I've found in my business, when I took away a four burner, I needed to only replace it with two hob induction because it was twice as efficient. So, you know, you're not looking for a like for like, you're looking for a, a change in the system. And to have a look at the long-term cost of running that gas stove and all the other bits of infrastructure. If you've already got extraction in place and it's configured for a gas burner, you can, look at getting the actual fans changing it so they're quieter they use less power the footprint of the hood itself will be for gas regulations and induction equipment doesn't need the same footprint or overhang so there's some technical sort of changes there that you can easily qualify for um, but i think as well to think about this is this is inevitable this technology is not like the cd there's, there's no replacement for this this is the technology we're going to have for a very long time. So it's worth investing in it now. But it's also worth looking at, if you can, how are you powering your business? And where's the energy coming from? If you can put solar panels in, have a battery, all these things, it, it makes much more sense and gives you autonomy over the energy that you use. And I would say in the long run as well, 
uh, in terms of the financial aspects, you're going to get a lot more mileage out of uh, electrifying your kitchen sooner rather than later. Mm. The, the latest budget announced small business tax incentives for investing in electrification and energy efficiency. Do you think that's going to help uh, a lot of the small businesses who run cafes and restaurants? To be honest, uh, no. I think it's it sounds impressive and it, uh, it's good to hear that there is a plan to address it. But with an industry that is running on a 2 to 4% profit margin, most small operators are not looking to save on taxation. They're simply not earning enough profit to even worry about that. So the biggest and best solution really is to have a specific grants program or a, uh, a cash bonus that is paid directly to the business. And within that structure, you are to choose a certain type of product for a certain type of usage at a certain price point. And you know, you must qualify and prove that you are going to actually install that. But upfront cash will be far more effective than tax deductions, in my opinion. Two to four percent profit margin is is not very much, is it? No, I mean and and you know, before super low interest rates, you were looking at getting a better return from your ING maximizer saving account <laughs> than a, than running a business. <laughs> um yeah, so you know, like there are people who do make profit in the industry and do do well, and have systems to do that. But it is a very tough market, and I really think, like, if we want to make a big change uh, quickly, then subsidies are probably the best way to go in a very measured program with a lot of accountability and focus. And I think there's an absolutely huge market um, available to to test that out on. And I, I think it would be a great way to speed up the transition to electrification in kitchens. A lot of small businesses, though, that run cafes and restaurants, they're tenants in other people's or companies' buildings. Isn't that going to limit their capacity to electrify? Yes and no. In the property market, and property being what it is in Australia, you know, there is going to be a lot of asset preservation and making sure that that the value of whatever that asset is is always going to be as high as it can be. And, you know, when you look at like building standards and seven star rating and all the rest of it, I think this is going to force a lot of tenants inside larger developments that will be gas free to have to do it anyway. So I would say that really it would be beneficial for there to be a working partnership between leasing agents, developers and hospitality operators, because what they're doing is laying the foundations for this to become the future. And I think, you know, if someone is going into a commercial space and has never had an electrified kitchen before, fully electrified, and they're a bit concerned about that, it would be in the best interests of some of the developers or leasing agents to actually facilitate some of the base works. So if they're not piping gas into a shopping centre and you've got a a cafe on the, the ground floor and it's only electrified, then you know all the wiring, all the three-phase wiring, all the different points, all these different things that are required would, are really base-build infrastructure. Where someone plugs in and how they operate it will be influenced by all that base work. And I think consultation with people who understand kitchen design will go a long way to saving a lot of time and money and make it a much happier a relationship for the tenants, developers and the leasing agents.
Partnerships are definitely the way to go, aren't they? Um, do, do you think that professional chefs can have an impact on cooktop manufacturers to, to make more induction models available and, and also to stop making gas appliances? Absolutely, without doubt. I mean, a lot of chefs do attach their names to different brands and whether they believe in that product or not is another thing. But generally, I find that if you do have uh, an association with a product or a brand, as a chef, you can impact its design for functionality and its aesthetic as well. And, and a lot of it is, I mean, cooking, yes, it is a, a process that involves science and me mechanical action and whatnot, but there's also a lot of romance attached to it. There's also <laughs> a lot of emotion attached to it, and there should be. You know, it's a very important function. You know, what pan we cook in, what stove we use, what knife we use, all of these things um, chefs have an influence on. And I do believe that there, there is definitely a case for many, many cooks, many chefs, many food personalities to actually have a look at this in a very logical and non-emotional way to actually make an emotional decision afterwards and, and start to influence the way it rolls out. Yes, it'll be interesting to, to see if that also plays out. Luke Burgess, thanks so much for joining the Switched On podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And Luke Burgess is a chef and kitchen consultant who is part of the Global CookSafe Coalition. That's it for Switched On. I'm Anne Delaney. I hope you can join me next time. Till then, keep electrifying. Music